Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I know there's a lot of you watching from different places, so I know you're there, and so thank you for joining us this morning. Church, I want to start by recapping our last two weeks from the Advent series. In week one, we talked about the call and that there's 400 years of silence, people's hearts got hardened, and no one expected Jesus to come, but he did. And Andrew focused on the call of repentance, which is a call to turn around, to reorientate yourself in a new direction. And it speaks more of action and more than more than just a confession. And John the Baptist shows us that Advent is a call to personal renewal as well as social reversal. Last week, which you probably remember, we talked about this beautiful place called the desert. And we focused on the wilderness and how that it plays a central role in the Old Testament biblical narrative, and this is where God most revealed himself to his people, and he did it through a process in the wilderness, through intimacy, through teaching, and through healing. Also, we, we just dwelled on the fact that Advent is a time for us to redefine our own wilderness, from a place of isolation to a place where we can meet God. And we must remember that this is the coolest thing, that there is fruit in the desert, and that God will stop at nothing in our wilderness to shape and refine us so that we could be fully alive in him. And so before I start, I have a disclaimer to make. Um, Although we are going to be talking about baptisms, my intention for those of you who are already baptized, whether in November or you got baptized earlier, I do not want to cause any one of you to second doubt or second guess your baptism. Right? The fact that you got baptism, that's good. Now, for those of you who have not gone baptiz- baptized yet, uh, every year we run a few courses throughout the year where you can learn more about baptism, baptism and hopefully it'll help you make an informed decision on whether they get baptized or not. So there's more information on that. So in the last two months, I've been preparing to share with you today. Um, and three things came to mind that I want to bring to your attention. And these things hinder our faith and hinder our growth, and they are distractions, they are hurries, and they are desires. And so I just want you to reflect on whether these things impact your faith or not. So church, I want to ask you, how often do you get distracted from what you need to do and are called to do? Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how many times did Jesus have to ask his disciples to stay focused and to just pray with him? Because often there is so much going on, not just externally, but internally in us, that our hearts and our focus gets divided. Let me ask you another thing. How often are you hurrying from one thing to another, one place to another, from one conversation to another? Lately, I'm realizing that hurry is one of the greatest enemies to our spirituality because we cannot we simply cannot do what Jesus asks of us in a hurry. We cannot follow him to a quiet place in a hurry. We cannot build meaningful relationships in a hurry. We cannot listen to what God wants to say to us in a hurry. And lastly, I want you to think about this, church. How often do you experience a perpetual restlessness within your heart that you can't get rid of? As humans, we have desires, and they drive and motivate us, and we get stuff done, which is great. But the tension arises when we realize that we're actually finite beings. That means we have limitations, but yet our hearts desire infinitely so much stuff. 
And what happens then? We experience this thing called restlessness. We can't stay still. And no matter how much we see, no matter how much we do, buy, sell, eat, drink, experience, visit, travel, we always want more. We can't seem to satisfy that. And, and we do try to satisfy that. We try to manage that ourselves. But then we're led down this path of more anxiety, of depression, of burnout, of materialism, of sin, idolatry. We form these unhealthy habits and attachments to things all as a way of us trying to address our restlessness that actually only God can satisfy. And we continue to spiral un unless we encounter some kind of intervention. And so the danger and consequence of being distracted, of hurrying, letting our desires consume us is how easily we remove ourselves from God's presence and out of his speaking range. Our manic lifestyles, whether you realize it or not, disconnects and actually threatens our connection with our living God. And of course, God knows we've done, we've tried everything we can to fix this and to help this, but perhaps our solution to these states that we find ourselves in isn't found in reduction or in elimination, but rather in a redirection to what God has for us. Church, in this period of Advent, God redirects our attention back to him, back to what he's saying, back to what is most important to him. He directs the church, that is us, to reflect on our readiness and to anticipate his son, his second coming. But more importantly and just as important, God redirects our attention to remind us that Jesus is already with us. He's already present in our life right now. And God reminds us that he has given us the spirit so that we don't have to walk each day alone or without any help. So church, this morning, I just want to let God address you. I want him to, I've been praying that he would show you something about himself or that he would just remind you of something that he wants you just to remember, just to continue to work in, something he wants to encourage you in, something he wants to comfort you in. And as Andrew said, God does not condemn he reminds us because he loves us. And so today, as we talk about the baptism, we're not going to go verse by verse as we're used to. I would like to share God's desire, his heart for the church that is us, and what it means to be baptized. And so I pray that God would reveal this to you today. So church, I'm just going to pray for us. So would you pray with me? Lord, I have done my humanly best to prepare for today. And only you, Lord, can say what you want to say to each of my family members listening, wherever they are. So, Lord, I surrender this morning to you, and I trust that you will speak, because I will say a lot of things this morning, but I pray that you would just say that one thing to each person as they need it, and that it would change them, it would form them, it would transform them. And you are with us. Lord, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So with that, we are going to jump into our passage today. We're in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. Please read with me. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This passage marks the beginning of how Jesus became the Messiah and how he was introduced, and it starts with the Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah and how John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that. And John's ministry really was to preach and to prepare God's people, prepare their heart to say that the Messiah will come. You just have to wait. You just have to be ready. And so in this passage, John's preaching represents God's calling us out of the wilderness, out of our distractions, out of our busyness and hurrying and restlessness to receive the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I want to spend time unpacking the significance of each baptism and why it is important for us as believers to receive or to know about these baptisms. In verse 4, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness and begins preaching about the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so here are a few but brief thoughts on the significance of this water baptism. So let's start in the Old Testament. Wherever there is water imagery, it is typically alludes to the presence and the work of God's Spirit. And of course, in the New Testament, Jesus too uses water to describe the cleansing and renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And so to baptize is a verb that means to immerse. And so baptism, as we understand it, as from a church perspective and what we've been practicing all of these years and generations, is baptism is the practice of immersing someone into the water. And by doing this, it represents a symbolic and a spiritual act of being born again, of being cleansed, being renewed, being resurrected with Christ in a new identity with him to have a new beginning in this life with God. And that's what we witness all the time. And so church, each of us will most likely just get baptized once in our lifetime as the physical, symbolic, and spiritual declaration of our faith, just as I've mentioned. And for majority of us, once is really enough. But within the heart and the idea behind baptism is the spiritual posturing of our own heart. That, is in, that has invaluable benefits in this life with Christ and the life to come. And so church, today I want to ask, I want us to ask God this, Lord, what does it mean to be baptized by you? What does it mean to be immersed by you and with you each day of our lives as your children? How does this look like? What must change in my heart for me to receive both these baptisms as a posturing of my heart, as my act of worship? Lord, I'm tired. This is for some of us. If we're tired, we're a bit cynical, we're a bit apathetic to this faith. We've been around for so long. How can I still receive the baptism that you have for me today? And so within the call to be baptized is a personal invitation to you to be transformed, to be renewed, to be immersed by God himself in his love as our way of life every single day. This is 
our spiritual journey. This is something we go on for the rest of our life. And that's our heart's cry when we want to be baptized. We're saying, Lord, I want to be baptized by you. I want you to lead me out of my wilderness. I want to follow you wherever you are. I want you to bring me into the second birth. I want you to show me how your kingdom works, what the culture is like, what you value, what you say, because all those things I want and I want to learn to follow you. In verses four to five, as John the Baptist preaches about the baptism of repentance, a lot of people listen, right? They went to him, they responded to his message, they confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the River Jordan. I want to take a more detailed look now at what it means to respond in forgiveness, repentance, and confession. I believe all these men and women that came from everywhere heard John the Baptist preach the good news to them. John gave them an opportunity perhaps to to acknowledge that, you know what, yeah, life is difficult, life is tragic, but you know what, out of the wilderness, graciously, divine, God divinely calls us out of our wilderness. God shows us another way. God shows us that the Messiah will come, and he's not just going to change our lives, but he's going to change the reality, our very understanding of reality, and everything that's attached to it through his son and what's going to happen on the cross and, and the days after the cross. And I think God, and John there would have alluded to God forgiving us as well as the gospel. And when we're baptized, we can start again because we're forgiven. We know that we're forgiven. We are released from all the cages that hinders us. Our hate, our self-hate, our anger, our sin, our guilt, our shame, whatever it is. We find out that forgiveness is not just a feeling but it's a decision. The good news is that God made a decision to forgive us. He continues to extend his forgiveness and his grace to us each day, and we, as we receive it, we are healed, we are liberated, we are reconciled with God as well as each other. And church, I wanna share the greatest news about forgiveness. Forgiveness removes any barriers between God and us, whether they're emotional, physical, mental, spiritual. And forgiveness also just opens up the possibility for a relationship to flourish. As Christians, then, we are commanded, not commanded, I, I want to stress that word, we're commanded also to forgive one another because we are going to hurt each other, we're going to offend each other in the same way God forgives us so that others may to release and experience God's love and God's grace and his forgiveness through us. Now, when we hear God calling us, we can really only respond by repentance. According to scripture, it is only through repentance that we can come into God's kingdom. Repentance is an action where we make a decision to change maybe our way of thinking and our current tra trajectory of where we are going and want to go. But to change requires humbleness. It, it requires a humility. It requires a willingness to listen. And these men and women listened and they heard and what they heard, they yearned. They, they knew that they wanted it. So they gave up everything and they said, yes, we want this. I think repentance also means that there's nothing you can do for yourself and that you recognize that and you wanna change your thinking. One of my favorite spiritual teachers, Bruce Demiris, and I've been really thinking about his words in the last few months, and I want to read you this quote. He says, the truth is, we will never change unless we're sufficiently challenged with new ideas. 
I think John, this baptism, John the Baptist was preaching was this new radical idea. God calls us what to himself? They've never heard of something like this. As growing Christians, we must learn, too, to be receptive to change, to fresh insight, to new leadings into unexplored spiritual territory, or else we do miss out on finding true life and our true selves with Christ. And so our spiritual journey, wherever we are in this journey, requires always an openness to change, and that's called repentance. And so if we're willing to receive the forgiveness, we're willing to repent and be open-minded, we also respond by confession. Our confession is a way of declaring in our, with our words, but also with, with action, um, and we're committing ourselves to live another way, and that is his way. And so when we confess, we say something like this, I confess and choose to turn away from the sin, the idolatry, the anxieties, the fears, all the things that cause us to be unfaithful to you and to each other. I no longer want to be a slave to these things. I want to be free as you say that I can be free. Lord, in all of these areas that I've offended you, I've offended my brother and sister, would you forgive me and allow me to start again by removing this barrier between us and between us? And wherever you are, I confess that's where I want to be. Whatever you say, I want to learn to do. So bring me into your green pastures, into your still waters. And so by our confession, God redirects every aspect of us into a better way of thinking, in a better way of living with him. And so, so far, I want to summarize what I've been talking about in the last 15 minutes. The heart and intention behind baptism is a daily invitation into a lifelong journey out of the wilderness with our God. As we respond to our living God that calls us, we reestablish, we rebuild, we reconnect these connections, these relationships. And as we journey with God, he teaches us what to focus on, what to grow in, how to love, how to forgive, all of these things we might have missed in our first life. Um, And in living, in following Christ, we find our meaning, our purpose, our satisfaction, and our way of life as Christians. So from here on, I want to now think about, for us to think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how this comes into the grand picture and the narrative of us journeying with God out of the wilderness. And I just want to make one more disclaimer, okay, last one for today, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For Many of us, I think, if we grew up in the charismatic denomination or tradition, the word baptism of the Holy Spirit actually comes with a lot of baggage. Um, At least for me, it does. Many immediately, you know, I think of receiving tongues, receiving all the spiritual gifts all at once, or or experiencing some kind of really dramatic thing that we read about in Acts. I want to reassure you that my heart today for us is not to do that, although we can do that some other time, but maybe not this morning. But I want to clarify this for you. I want to clarify that the Spirit of God comes to us as believers when we first believe and confess Christ at the first point of salvation. So what I have to say now about the baptism of the Spirit is an addition, additional aspect, an additional dimension to our salvation, to our baptism and our faith. So in verse 7, 
John the Baptist says that there is someone coming who is more superior, who is more powerful than himself. And in verse 8, John says, the one who is to come will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So what does this baptism look like and mean? Mark makes a very important contrast between the water baptism here and the baptism of God's Spirit in that water baptism in of itself is inadequate. That means it is not enough, church, to be baptized in water alone because in our hearts, in our spirits, what we truly need and yearn for is to receive the very presence of God himself. And as Christians, the good news is that we are promised and given the indwelling presence of God. By his spirit, we become more connected to him. We're able to hear him and we're allow- when we allow ourselves to be satisfied by him, we are created God intended us to, cre- to be created to be in a strong and genuine encounter and dialogue and a conversation with him every single day. And this is only possible because of the Spirit. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit reminds us fundamentally every single day that apart from him, without him, we can do no good thing. We can do nothing. It is not us ultimately, who moves us in this journey. It is not us that brings about the change that we pray and yearn for. It is God's spirit and what he's doing alone. It's his presence in our life that allows us to do that. And so, church, we are also incomplete until we welcome the spirit and allow him to initiate our growth, to allow him to liberate us from bondage, to allow him to heal us of our woundedness and our brokenness allow him to cleanse us of the uncleanliness and to really allow him to make us whole in the personhood of Christ. And this is only possible when we say, yes, Lord, immerse me in not just forgiveness, but in your spirit every single day or else otherwise I can do nothing and I am incomplete. And church, one more thing that I want to say about the spirit is that Jesus says that there will be a time where many will claim to be like Christ. They will be claiming that they are Jesus and they will do Christ-like things and they will deceive many people. And Jesus says there will be a day when there will be sheep dressed up as sheep's clothing and they will deceive and lead the children of God astray. And Jesus points to a day where the truth is going to be undermined and that the truth will be severely twisted to serve other selfish gains. And church, we already live in this day. As Jesus says in John 16, verse 13, he says, the spirit of truth has come and he will guide us into all truth. This, I share this because this is good news. God gives us the spirit and he immerses us in the spirit so that we will not be easily deceived. He will give us the spirit, which is a compass that will continually speak and remind us and to encourage us and to comfort us and ultimately to point out to the truth, point us to to what is still good and true in this world. And no matter how dark it gets, we will still have a compass that leads us back into his presence where we can continue to live in the fullness of what he intended. So church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the most glorious treasure we will ever possess in this life. And because that is the very presence of Yahweh himself. And so our response to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to know that 
our daily worship, our daily response is to host the presence of God. It's to make room in our hearts. It's to welcome him every single day and say, Lord, if you do not come, I am incomplete. If you do not come, I will continue to ask you and invite you to come. Whatever I do, wherever I am, whatever season, whatever wilderness, desert, just be with me, Lord. I, I Sit with me. I want to sit with you. You know, recently, church, we've experienced history, not just this year, but recently, we were able to baptize our brothers and sisters in the Vine Church first ever historic in-house baptism um, that took place on November 8th for the entire Sunday, and I know a lot of you were there. And I'm just grateful that the Spirit of God inspires us to do such things, and I, I do want to just thank you for everyone that spearheaded that you know who you are. And, and just to be able to do what we as a church are called to do, which is to see others baptized, to see people immersed in God's presence. And I had time to actually read over a lot of the testimonies that were written by our brothers and sisters that day. And I, and I want to just sum up, I don't have enough time to go through every one, but I want to sum up the general unique journey that each brother and sister took and that they moved from a place of desolation, a place of isolation, the wilderness, the desert, to a place where, you know what, things are not perfect, they're not completely healed, but they got to a place where they could breathe again where they could actually hear their thoughts again, where they could be liberated, where they had a new perspective, that they felt free to love and to speak and to know and that they're not alone. And so this is the journey of baptism. This is the posturing of our heart and all these men and women before us on Sunday, November 8th, they said, we found the way and I declare and I confess this is the way I want to continue to live from now on, with our God leading us. And so I want to share this quote from a philosopher, theologian, Martin Buber. Um, and I feel like he sums up this baptism, our baptism journey, and also our reality, our shared reality as Christians. He says, God is no object of discourse, knowledge, or even experience. He cannot be spoken of, but he can be spoken to. He cannot be seen, but he can be listened to. The only possible relationship with God is to address him and to be addressed by him here and now. Church, this describes the Christian life that all of us are on. And the beauty of being addressed by God and for us to address God and to listen to God, you know, it's not without struggles, but it is what it is. And this is the beautiful gospel. This is the life that all of us are called to. And for me, each day, when I live out this baptism, each day is a new opportunity for me to call out to God in my wilderness of being distracted, of hurrying, of busyness, of misplaced desires, of idolatry, of sin and anger. You know, each day I cry out to God and I say, Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. I can't live like this. I can't bear to live like this. So would you show me another way? I don't mind pain. I don't mind to suffer. But just show me another way. Walk with me just through today. That's what I'm asking for, Lord. And each day I'm so forgetful. I just pray one thing. I say, Lord, may I go through this day not to forget you not to know that you sit with me. And I spend most of my energies just to remind myself that he indeed is present with me. 
And in the last four to five months, I've actually been in the same spot with God. I've been surrendering more or less the same one thing. I've been praying the same prayers every single day. My prayer is this, Lord, baptize me, immerse me in your presence, in your word, and teach me not to be upset and angry and lash out at my children. You know, and it's painful. It's, it's humbling when your own children teach you how to parent. But I think that's God speaking out of the wilderness to me. And I think the important thing is to remain repentant, to be open, because God is God, right? He is the Lord of all creation, all over everything. And so I don't mind spending the rest of my life just praying the same thing, learning what God has for me if I am to grow to be more like him. And so church, I just want to say don't be discouraged and where you are because he is with you. And we're supposed to struggle, so don't be so hard on yourself. If God can speak to me as I practice preaching, as I prepared for today, he, he really just spoke to me at 11.20 last night, then I'm sure he can speak to you in any situation, church. So practically, how does this look like for you and I to live out? I want to suggest three things that I've, I've been personally adopting in my own life as a way to live out this idea and heart of baptism. Um, you know, and, and I just ask again, how do you and I posture ourselves to be immersed in this way of life? First, I would say the key is to be always ready to be repent at any time. Guard your heart so that you're always ready and able to respond to God, even if it's just a very little thing that you can say or do. You know, God shows up in the most inconvenient times. He shows up in the most awkward times. He shows up in our conversations. He shows up with people we don't like, people who we don't even want to see, but yet God is there showing us in our disappointments, in our interruptions, in our pain and grief. He is there to show us himself and to show us another way. And so that you will see, you'll be able to see if you are willing to follow him, um, new perspective. And I think in this life, we will be distracted, we will be busy, we will be tempted, but no matter what, always try to get back to this place where your heart can say, Lord, immerse me. Lord, I know today's been really messed up, but immerse me, that's all I need. Second suggestion is to immerse yourself in scripture so that you can make room for the Holy Spirit in your life. Why do I say this? Because this is what Christians do. This is what, this is the only way we know. This is our way of life. Without letting him address us with his words, we will not be able to live. You cannot discern God's voice from the deception of the enemy, from the good and well-intentioned things of this world, from God's intention. You know, and, and my prayer is really simple. My prayer is, Lord, when I wake up, I want you to be the first person that addresses me. I want you to be the first person I talk to. And at night, I, I also just say, Lord, I, I pray that, you know, the person going to sleep right now is different than the person who woke up because you encountered me, you spoke to me, you changed my perspective and I'm so thankful for that. Thirdly, I, lastly, I, I want to suggest to keep very short accounts in all our relationships. You know, our ultimate test, I think, of our Christianity, whether it's genuine, whether it's sincere, is 
simply in how we treat each other, how we treat our parents, how we treat our children, how we treat our enemies, how we treat the stranger that we bump into the street when we're in a really bad mood. What do we say to them? How do we treat them? But the good news is God is in our relationship. So whenever in any relationship, God is there with us. And therefore, I think it's that important to prioritize managing our relationship and keeping short accounts, and that means to practice forgiveness. Because once again, I want to remind you, forgiveness removes all the barriers between us, between God and us, and between you and I. And, and you know, my prayer has always been that if Christians can be known for anything, it's not for our mistakes, it's not for hypocrisy or, you know, what we didn't do, didn't say, but I pray that Christians would be known for our forgiveness, that they would see Christ because in how we choose to forgive, because God has forgiven us. So church, if I can sum up the last 25 minutes, I would say today is really about the work of God and the Holy Spirit and what he desires to do in our life. In this Advent season and in every season of our life, this baptism of water and the Holy Spirit represents his invitation to come on a lifelong journey, a pilgrimage, a spiritual journey with the triune God who leads us to be truly free, to be truly ourselves in his presence every single day. So the simple question I ask you is, will you join him? Will you let him satisfy you? Will you let him address you and transform you? Will you allow him to immerse himself and his love upon you? Closing, in closing, church, I want to say this. Do you remember the Great Commission? What does Jesus say there? And I want to remind you what the Great Commission says. He says, so you must go and make all the nations into disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and look, I am with you every single day to the very end of age. Note that Jesus calls us to baptize the nations, baptize whoever we see in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as in we are called as Christians to immerse others in everything we know about God, everything Jesus has given us, everything that the Holy Spirit is showing us. We are called to immerse others with this, and this is a command. And so what I really want to remind us before we go is that our faith must go beyond ourselves. We immerse ourselves, we transform, we are changed, not for our own sake, but the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of our enemy. And so having, after received God's presence, we too then must go out and share the presence of God, the love of God, whatever God has given us with others. And so that others may know that there is a journey that God yearns to bring each of us on. And so this is what the Christian life is all about. And I pray that the Spirit will lead you from wherever you are today to walk with Him. Church, can we pray? Father, you say if we confess our sins, you are faithful, you are just, and you will forgive us and will cleanse us. You will wash us thoroughly from all that cages us, and causes us to be stuck. You will free us. You will be able to make us whole again. So God, today, right now, we ask that you create in us a renewed spirit. Father, would your spirit come and dwell in us 
immerse us, Lord God. Father, let us be with you. Wherever you are, we confess we want to follow and be with you. And Lord, as children, we ask, Lord God, that the one thing is that you would make yourself real to us today, right now. Whatever it takes, Lord God, to get our attention, Father, I pray that at the end of today, before we sleep, our hearts would say, Lord, you are the living God. You, I will follow. You, I will learn more about. And one day, I I might follow you, but, or maybe we'll say, Lord, thank you for being with me. Thank you for immersing me. Thank you for reminding me that I'm not alone, that I don't struggle alone. I don't go through anything alone because you are with me. And so, Jesus, this is our prayer. In your beautiful name, would you continue to speak to us every single moment you give to us in this precious life. And Lord, teach us to steward and treasure the greatest treasure we will ever, ever receive, and that is you. In your name we pray, amen.